right, Mike. Welcome down, man. Here we are. Yeah, we're just talking about our pod- podcast preferences, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming down, taking some time uh, to to be my first guest on Dig In. It's gonna be gonna be good. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you can't yeah. picture a better opportunity. Yeah, so. my Thanks. pleasure, man. My pleasure. I, and you know, you're a great guest because of uh, I just love your background, your story, your testimony, and really that. When I think of like, man, I always tell people like Mike, like nobody studies more than Mike, and he's a Christian. Like he legitimately cares and helps people. Uh, and uh, and wants to, to be a blessing to people. So I, I do appreciate and respect that tremendously. Awesome. Well, thank you, brother. And, you know, uh, to God be the glory. He's done so much for us. How can we not simply uh, turn back and, and share that love and that mercy right. with others? You know, so it's a natural. I, I'm glad to say it's a natural outworking, and I'm not trying hard <laughs> to study or to, you know, I'm just being that right. tree that's rightly planted and preferably uh, bearing the fruit that gives God the glory. So what do you think of the, so I was explaining to you a little bit about the Dig In podcast here. So, you know, long content, just the conversation, uh, you know, because I feel like you can really get to know people, know their their stories or their thoughts, and it gives us time to kind of rationalize and go through things more and just think about things. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. But I think everybody brings unique perspectives there. And when we gather that together, I think we could have some really good conversation and dialogue that, in my opinion, the church desperately needs to, to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've been living in the time of authenticity for quite some time now. Yeah. And I think that um, we're seeing the uh, we're seeing it, the outworking of that actually take place, you know, in, in I'd say maybe the last couple of years due to maybe COVID or whatever it was where it forced people to see the value of what they're doing with their time, what they yeah. you know, what they can do with this relaxation. And I think having conversations and just being authentic is really having its impression upon people. And it's a blessing. So I, I think this is a great idea. I think uh, people are interested. They'll follow conversations. I know myself. I get in my car I, on the way here. I was listening to a conversational podcast. Right. You know, I think that's the, the right way to go. I, I think that's uh, honestly a, was a blessing of COVID too, right? It, like, it allowed people to have more conversations because conversations really allow us to, or at least try to get us to understand somebody else's perspective much better because I feel like we got to a point, especially in the church where, you know, you, we live in our own bubble so much. We have no idea what the experiences outside of that are. And the church is so divided in general, but it's divided in like, I want to hang out with people who think like me, talk like me, look like me, believe like me. And society is also grouped up that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that causes all this division, racism, you know, it has all these implications that uh, are damaging to, I think, the overall goal of the church anyways. And just being able to sit from somebody who doesn't look like you and grew up differently than you is an experience, different experiences than you, and just say, hey, I want to hear your story and, and tell me about where you come from. I think that can only benefit us. Absolutely. You're speaking to my heart. Um, you know, I think that that's the, the key is um, having conversations, uh, being willing to, you know, there's a game out there, by the way. It's called uh, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? Okay. And the game is you roll a dice and there's a question on the back of a card and it corresponds to the dice, and it's a random question. Okay. And then the goal is to allow that person, without your judgment, without your interpreting the question for them right. uh, or anything, and just allow them to share their thought. And it's a game. It's a, but however, that you know, we can see that that's a, a positive. It's almost like a, a skill uh, right. that we can develop in a, a test, if you will. Uh, so I think that's what's needed. I think people need to listen to each other better. One of my uh, goals for the new year is actually to learn how to actively listen. Mm. We, we all say that we listen. 
uh, you know, and I've learned, uh, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, yet fortunately, excuse me, um, I've learned through my wife that I'm very good at listening to numerous people. However, am I actually listening right. to numerous people? No, well, it's impossible. Right. So I can, I can reflect upon, I could even enter into different conversations. But then when you do that, you're not really there in that conversation. Right. Like we have the opportunity to do now. And again, I think that's just a really important uh, point in the church for the church to consider. What does it mean to have discussions? What does it mean to listen, uh, to really listen? And then also, then we can move on to, of course, understanding and learning how to love each other despite our differences, maybe even praise God in the midst of our differences. Right, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I think there's just, it's a great learning curve, if you will, yeah. for the church. No, it's a good point. It, it really is. And you're right. A lot of us are, you know, we listen with the intent to respond, right? And not really listen with the intent to understand. We just want to give responses. And I think it's been challenging, at least for me anyways, maybe you have a different view on it as a church leader. You know, because sometimes, you know, people come with their different thoughts or different ideas. And some of those ideas, you listen and going, oh, how did you come to this conclusion off of this? You know, or why are you thinking this way? Or, or why is it there? Just because it doesn't align with what you currently believe or what you currently think. And, it, and again, the natural carnal, you know, like reasoning is just like, you're wrong. Get out of here, you know, type of thing. And uh, it doesn't really help us as the overall church body to move in that way, um, at least, again, in my opinion. I, I would agree. I, I think that... Uh you know, we've all heard it said, sometimes the best answer is no answer. Yeah. And I've learned in my life recently, it's been a learning curve that I'm on personally, where sometimes I don't need to say anything. Right. Sometimes you can actually, and I don't know if you've ever gone through therapy, I have. And uh, in my experiences of therapy, I was always amazed that when you talk to the therapist, they're not listening to really respond. Yeah. They're letting you process your thought. And then, of course, you know, there might be some help guiding you through sure. your thoughts. However, they're generally just listening, and again, I guess that's why they're paid to care. Right, right. <laughs> you know, uh, so I have always found that to be very beneficial, and I'm learning that in my, my leadership and in, in my growth uh, to, to try to become that person right. that doesn't always need to have a response to what people are saying or their view, their theological view, whatever it might be. Um, even in, I might be thinking a bit more one-on-one -on -one type of conversation. Sometimes I, I can just listen and not necessarily have to, and I've always admired those people and maybe been perplexed by them. That's right. why I'm excited to kind of grow right. in that area, and I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, man, no doubt about it. No doubt. It's always like that. Like you said, that it's just a listening with a response. You know, the ther what, what are some of the challenges you feel uh, pastorally, maybe with congregation members or, or just as your everyday life uh, in regards to that topic of listening, caring, being there, understanding, but also creating boundaries in some areas? I think it's tricky, and I think that's important to mention right up front. Um, I remember a book early on uh, in ministry that I read. It was something about messy ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you, you try not to make ministry messy, yeah. what you're going to end up with is in uh, what it would be inauthentic or unauthentic. How would you say yeah. that? Uh, non authentic? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> however, you would say it. I'm known for making up my own words, by the way, so <laughs> uh, you have to correct me. Um, however, y you know, it would lead us into a place where we would no longer have authenticity. So, um, I think it's important for us to admit it's going to be hard. Not every situation is going to be a cookie-cutter conversation where we're going to have a... Right. Know, and sometimes if you do that, that's problematic. Right. So up front, I think that's important. And then as far as other challenges, um, we have to actually listen. You know, you said it well before. 
Uh, we have to actually be listening to the, the issue and not listening to have that response, not listen to have, you know, an answer to everybody's problems, so right. to speak, you know, not defining. And again, uh, something I learned, I, I've been recently listening to a, a active listening podcast, and something they mentioned in that podcast was being present. That's a, you'd be surprised how non-present you are, right? In conversation, right? <laughs> so I've learned just saying, I'm in this conversation. And I think that's important for all of us as Christians to learn. You know, if we yeah. want to heal the nations, uh, which is our responsibility, then we need to actively listen to the issues around us. And not. And then the second thing I learned that I thought was powerful was ask questions, because oftentimes we're defining the problem according to our preconceived notion, right. not according to the actual problem. Right. I remember uh, doing a homeless ministry years ago, and the easiest response to homeless ministry was get them in a house. Right. They're homeless. Right. Hello. Uh, but then you realize, and when you do homeless ministry, that not everyone that is homeless necessarily wants, needs, or understands being in a house. It's true. And for me, that was such a... Mind-blowing, right? It's like, yeah. So, yeah. again, I think really listening to the problems, discern, really listening to people and seeing what their problems might be, uh, and maybe not even looking for the problem, but just being a person that actively listens is probably the biggest challenge we face and maybe the best growth spurt we could be on. You, you mentioned the word authentic and like red flags kind of went up. And the question that just kind of, I guess, dropped in my spirit or just came to my mind was, do we as the church allow people to really be authentic? Um, or do we try to force people into molds? And he, here's why I say that. And this may be controversial to say, but like if you were to take my thoughts as I'm reading the Bible or listening about God or even connecting with people in the body, if you were to take my thoughts and lay them out on a piece of paper, they'd be stunning and shocking, I, I think, to a lot of people. Because I think a lot of our natural reactions, too, because, again, they're going on authenticity, right? Like there are times where it's like, man, I don't believe this, but I can't say I don't believe this because if I say I don't believe this, then I'm going to be ostracizing this or just or things like this just seems such a stretch for God to act like this or, you know, this just seems such a stretch for me to be a part or I don't think I can. And it, it one, it makes fake people. And. God never moves through fake people. God never moves through masks. God never, God never moves through pity. He moves through, like, I, I feel like as the church, right, as, as a church leader, I feel like it's the goal of every leader to get the mask off of everybody and give them an authentic experience with their relationship with Jesus. And the only way you could do that is by being real and truthful. And if we're only raising people to not think for themselves but to just believe what I'm telling you without any type of thought on your own whatsoever, you're creating robots. You're not creating Christians. You're, you're, you're creating a cult. You're not creating uh, a legitimate relationship. I just think your relationship with your wife, uh, you know, I can think of my relationship with my wife. There's ups and downs, and the downs aren't always catastrophic, right? Like, we, we, we don't have to go to extremes on each level, too, right? right? It's not always you're floating in the air and on sunshine and rainbows, but it's not always the world's worst disaster thing right. in the world. But, like, you agree, you disagree, you communicate, you work through those things, you go up and down, things they do, you question, you know, why are you doing this or thinking this way, and vice versa. And it's almost the same thing I, I feel like believe, you believe with God. You use that word authentic, and that's what came to me. I'm like, man, if 
if we would just be more authentic as leads and go, man, I struggle too. I doubt too. I, the more I read the Bible, the more questions that I have about God, to be honest with you. Uh, the, I'm like, man, I finally got my finger on this. And then there's 15 other questions that pop up. And it's like, you know, my gosh, you know, there's just more to kind of dive through and, and, and think through. Um, maybe the church needs a, a revival of authenticity. Maybe that's, that's, that's really a base level. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot there. I think, uh, you know, and I'm glad you picked up on that with authenticity because first off, we know in the leadership of the church, you know, my wife's listening saying there's no outline to this podcast. Um, uh, We don't know authenticity amongst ourselves. Yeah. We don't know how to be broken people in the midst of other broken people. However, I don't have to mask up. Sure. You know, first Timothy chapter four says, uh, you know, and it's always this, we have to put on a mask. We have to be the qualifications, you know, of, of what we do all, all of us, the church as, as leadership, the church as a whole needs this moment to realize. And we've said these phrases. We do this. You know, we talk about grace. Right. And we have signs on our church, you know, grace and love. We, uh, everyone's welcome. Uh, you know, we say that in our, our posts on Facebook. Right. Everybody's welcome at church on Sunday. Not thinking through really what we're saying in a, in a real authentic way. Do you really mean that? Right. Everyone? You sure? Yeah. I got some people that might want to show up to your church, might not like you, um, <laughs> you know. So again, I think that there really is a place for authenticity, and you know, I'd say personally, I'm I'm growing in that myself. Yeah, I'm growing in learning how to be more authentic. I'm growing in learning how to, and yes, I say that as a man that has been a pastor of a church for ten years. Right, you know, um, I'm growing every day is a growth. You know, recently married, growing there. Uh, you know, wives have an amazing ability to help you demask, yep. you know, whether you want to or not. Right. Um, you know, and that's been, for me, a real major growth uh, in my life and seeing that in the church and seeing that in my leadership with others and even in our own congregation, seeing the need for, you know, are we, again, are we actually authenticity and listening? Are yeah. we actually listening to each other? Right. Um, are we actually growing? Um, you know, at Blue Point, we're, we're a small congregation, so we pride ourselves on saying, you know, we might not be growing in... Uh, you know, numbers, but we're growing in, uh, you know, in wealth of the spirit or however there's multiple ways I've heard that said. Um, Is that happening? Is that true? Or is that a, you know, a mask itself? Yeah. Uh, And, you know, that's been a journey that I've been on for some time now is just really being authentic with myself. But that's, let's face it, you know, that's where it has to start. If we're going to be shepherds of Christ's church, and we have to be authentic with ourselves, among ourselves. And when what I was saying before was uh, phrases we've used are like, the church is a hospital for the broken. Right. That sounds very nice. Yeah. Now let's take that in. You know, broken people don't tend to, uh, you know, broken things. You know, you bring them together. They don't look like much. You know, it doesn't, it's not as pretty as you might think. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, so uh, there's others, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Um, an ocean of grace or something like that. Since grace is like water, uh, the church should be an ocean. Right. Okay. Mm. Uh, you know, beautiful phrases. However, do we really measure up to that? Do we, yeah, that's a good know, point. Are people getting that image from the church that these people really want you to come in because they want you to come in broken? Yeah. You know, when, again, I think there's a, yeah, there's a need. You said it best, the revival of authenticity is needed in the church. Yeah, the the, the all and again thinking it through too is uh, yeah all are welcome. What does that actually? What does that mean? Because I think people too, especially those who don't go to church, they'll pick up on the intent of what you're trying to say by that, right? We'll say all. It's almost like the what we're screaming to the world is all are welcome. 
to come in here, but you better leave looking like that's us. Right? Yeah, that's right. Behavior modification. The church, unfortunately, has been, you know, a picture of behavior modification rather than a picture of authenticity. Right. Uh, you know, around New Year's, you always see these posts from Christians where they'll say things like, um, "Don't become the best version of you; become the, become the best version of Jesus." Okay. I like that. I, I said I could get behind that. There's another one. I'm, I'm not. It's not coming right to mind. Uh, however, because God's not trying to make a better you. He's trying to help you become more like Jesus, even in the midst of your brokenness. Yeah. Even in the midst of whoever you are. You, don't, you know, you're, you might be messed up. I'm messed up. You know, uh, I mentioned my wife before because we have a lot of talks about authenticity and undoing the masks. And, you know, sometimes to her uh, frustration, I might gripe about how broken and how horrible and despicable of a person I really feel like and who I, right. who I am. And, you know, thank God she builds me up. Right. Uh, however, you know, I, I, again, I think that's important. I think it's important to have those times where you can feel broken, but then feel that, you know, again, and I lose. I'll say this. As a leader, sometimes I lose the picture of what it means to be a hospital for the broken. And I sometimes think I'm the doctor. Mm. And I fail to realize, no, no, I'm just a an intern there uh, that's, you know, been there a bit longer right. or maybe knows something <laughs> about the place. So, you know, again, I, I think that authenticity is such a strong topic that we should always be grappling with and asking ourselves, you know, what masks am I putting up? Uh, what, you know, what masks do I need to take off? And Yeah. Yeah, and, and really thinking and praying about what that means Yeah. in regards to, like, are we willing to have those conversations? Like, there are taboo topics in Christianity. Sure. A lot, a lot of them, from uh, political to somehow sexual, right? Gay, straight, uh, to cultural, to eco- all these things, right? And you know, you think about again all are welcome. You think about being authentic, right? If if somebody has a uh, um, if somebody comes in and says, you know, I'm a homosexual and I'm struggling with homosexuality, or this is just the way I feel, and this is I know God made me this way, and they never change. The question is, does that dictate the way you treat them as a, as a Christian, right? And is our behavior and our actions towards them based off of their actions, right? And that's the complete opposite of the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We put like this limit on what we deem as sin and what we deem as enough, right? Where it's like, I'm only going to do this for so long, but if they don't change, then we have to kind of remove them from our presence because, right, then they become an infection to us. And again, not just, and, and this is not to single out the homosexual, this is any type of sin that makes us uncomfortable. Any type of one. You name it, it's there. Because we also have that. We also have our favorite sins, right? Versus the ones that make, you know, us feel. Greedy people don't really bother me. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, so, and yeah, I get yeah. it. We, we, we favor certain sins and we, we focus on certain things. I really do think that the church needs to find a place where I don't have to force someone to grow in my time and what I believe that growth even looks like. Yeah. And just allow people, trust God. Yeah. How about getting back to that? Getting yeah. back to God is in control of his people. What he wants from us is for us to be a gracious people, to respect people, to build people up. Um, and again, there is a time and need for rebuke. I think the church has just used that card too often. Way too often. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, rebuke should be the, you know, again, you know this, you, you raise children. Uh, I, I haven't raised children. However, I've been around a child for a year. Yeah. And I've had the opportunity to see the difference of how you would talk to a child in difference to somebody that's been around for 38 years like me. You right. know, there's a difference. Sure. Um, and then we're not talking about ages here. We're talking about maturity in the church, et cetera. Yeah. And again, if we believe God is in control of that, how much more should that cause us to step back? Yeah. 
let God be in control of that. Dude, we just hit on this last night, our Bible study, right? It's like um, God's love and the grace of God is offensive, right? Because we talk about, you know, and we're going to get into why me and you are kind of ostracized here in a second here because it goes back to authentic and legitimate conversations, which is kind of the point of this podcast. Hmm. Because I feel like the church, for myself anyways, and just in some of my experiences, not with everybody, has not allowed me to be authentic. And I remember dealing with my spiritual dad, and he was awesome when I dealt with this. I was struggling so bad with the topic of the end times and stuff. And I'm like, if I tell him what I truly believe, I don't think he'll talk to me anymore. But just the fact that that thought crossed my mind is offensive to God in general, right? We should be able to freely have these conversations without being accusatory, calling somebody heretic, causing them, calling them a cancer in the church and division, all that stuff. When I'm just trying to be real with what I'm thinking and believing, right? God's love, right? When people say, oh, you don't preach enough condemnation or enough hell, even though the Bible says there's no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ, right? Um, But it is, it's almost like we need to see punishment in order for us to feel, um, I guess, justified Mm -hmm. in what we're doing. And the grace of God is so offensive because it's so simple, yet it's so hard at the same time. Like, we're used to, hey, listen, you live this lifestyle as a Christian. There are standards, which we all agree, there are standards, okay? But it's how you treat people who don't meet those because you fall short, I fall short, everybody else falls short. And we treat other people that fall short up. Oh, you can't be used in the ministry now because you've done this. Yet, secretly, you're doing this. I'm doing this. This one's doing this. People don't know. And we're trying to make ourselves look like something, again, masked up, not authentic. Then we're not, right? That's why you got these preachers who are, who are hooking up and sleeping with prostitutes, yet at the same time preaching against prostitution. Or they're preaching against homosexuality while shacking up with some young boys behind the shit. You know, and once that gets uncovered, it's this massive fall because they built themselves an altar with themselves on it instead of putting God on it. When sure. when you get to the point of like, well, what's enough where 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 like what is enough? Like, well, what if they do this in? And what if I do this in? When you think about like those verses, like there's no condemnation at all for those in Christ, or even uh where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Like when you meditate on that verse, like just think about that verse. Tell me how much sin is in, can be had in one's life where the grace of God does not cover. Because when you think about that, it's, it's, it legitimately is expressing that you, could, you couldn't sin enough to out-sin the grace of God over your life. And sin doesn't offend God. What sin does, it separates you from God. The sin hurts you, not the God. Right. The sin separates you, but the grace is, it's almost like, oh, he needs more rope. Oh, he needs more rope. Oh, he needs more rope. The separation is so far, and you can't go far enough from God where God doesn't have rope not long enough to pull you back in. Amen. Amen. Uh, That's why I think it's safer to compare grace to an ocean than to a piece of rope. (laughs) (laughs) You know, amen. You know, uh, well said. You know, I, I think... Again, you know, we talked about authenticity. Grace is just another outworking of that. You know, we yeah. need to learn grace and what it means to give grace, extend grace, give grace to ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, which, again, I, I think, as I mentioned, authenticity begins with self, so does grace. Yeah. You know, and a lot of folks are out there, uh, I, I hurt for them because as I come to understand God's grace, and l- let me say that again, you know, just with authenticity, growing in God's grace is, is, is you know, and, and I can say that based upon the, the scriptures where we are called to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always growing in my understanding of grace. I'm glad to say that I'm far more gracious of a person now than I was 
in the beginning of my Christian walk. Sure. Um, and if you're not doing that, you need to examine yourself. Sure. The Apostle Paul told us to do that. Um, you know, why are you not growing in grace and becoming more gracious of a person? So, yeah, I think that, you know, that's the first thing that we need to become comfortable with is the uh, the explosive, the outrageous, the, uh, you know, the, the grace of God. Yeah. You know, and how the offensive, to borrow that phrase you used, um, the offensive grace of God where, yeah, God is, God has forgiven that person that's doing the sin that you think is the worst. Yep. And, you know, we say that, again, I, you know, in authenticity here, you know, we use these cliches. You know, I know so many people, I know Christians that use those phrases, and then you have a behind-the-scenes conversation. You're like, how does that work with what you said? Right. You know, do you really believe that? And I do. I really believe in the grace of God. I believe God is growing people where he wants them to grow. Mm. And the church and leaders, and again, while we, we mentioned there are principles, there are boundaries, um, you know, I would say if you're being disrupted. Uh, right now at our church, we're going through the book of Corinthians. Okay. And... I mean, what what better of a place to start to talk about, you know, a messy congregation and yeah. a lot of sins and a lot of issues going on, um, division, arrogance. Uh, the four that we've marked out as we've studied through the book would be division, arrogance, uh, judgmentalism, and then non-judgmentalism, which mm. is interesting, right? Or uh, let me say it the way that we said it in the uh, judgmentalism and then uh, lacking proper judgment. So... If you read through Corinthians, you notice that was the issue, right? First Corinthians 7, everybody brings that up. You know, the man that was sleeping with his father's wife. Right. Um, it is 7, right? I believe so. Um, we were just talking about this, right? I told you, <laughs> can't get me on the chapter. Uh, however, uh, the man that's sleeping with his father's wife, now that I'm saying that, I'm thinking, nope, it's First Corinthians 5. Um, so anyway, um, that church had, you know, these people that were not judging the sins that were in their midst that needed to be judged. Right. Oh, and they were judging things before the time. That was another thing. First Corinthians 4, 5, it says they were judging things before the time. So what it shows us is that in the midst of a healthy body of Christ, there's going to be the need to rid ourselves of arrogance. There's going to be the need to rid ourselves of, um, of judgmentalism, of not extending grace where grace needs to be understood. Corinth was you know, a hotbed of disagreement, of, yeah. of uh, distinctions. Uh, there were Alexandrian Jews. There were, uh, you know, Jews from Jerusalem. There were Gentiles of all different persuasions. All these people disagreed. Yeah. Uh, and then Paul is trying to help them. All right, so you're all broken. You all do things that each yeah. other disagree with. You know, how do we build a healthy church? And he's saying that there's going to be times where you do need to make sharp, you know, this is wrong and judgment. Right. However, there's more time where you're going to need to double back and ask yourself, well, grace was extended to me. Right. I need to extend it to them. And again, do it to their building up, not to their detriment. If you see somebody Correct. doing something that's breaking them down, you know, there's a right way to do that. See, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, how are you the right person? And right. if you've made your way to Corinthians, I usually tell people you should have already read Thessalonians. That was the chronological order. And in Thessalonians, one of the biggest things that was rebuked was people making judgments on other people that they did not have the relationship with them to make. Hmm. And, you know, again, uh, I have a chart that I made up going through Thessalonians, and that was one of the biggest do-nots in Thessalonica was these men don't have a relationship with them to be able to rebuke them, so they're not going to receive the rebuke exactly. the right way. You so, haven't earned the right to rebuke right. type of thing. And I guess that's a, there was a name for that years ago, right? Friendship evangelism or something, right. relationship evangelism. we got, we got to have a name for everything, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's but be again, I think line. that's important. Of course. You know, so. Think about it. Like, like, think about it in your own life. Somebody you respect comes and goes, Mike, I think you really need to stop doing this. 
versus Joe Schmo off the road, the road, the street holding the Bible, going, "Stop doing this, yeah. Mike." You're like, who is this guy? You know, uh, and talking to me. Now that way. you said that, I must change my life. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I've never met a guy like. Listen, man, I was doing this. This guy screamed at me on the sidewalk, and that was it. I changed yeah. my life. He was right. <laughs> never, never met that once. But yeah, man. It is so true. I, I heard it put uh, one way. I forgot the pastor who mentioned this. I thought it was so good when it talks about um, even mentioning evangelism or like talking about drawing those hard lines. Because I think of two things. Number one, when Jesus stepped in front of the woman at the well, the woman caught—I mean, the, the woman caught in the act of adultery—he didn't step. He didn't go. Listen, before I step in front of you, are you going to stop doing this? Are you going to change? Are you going to go to Bible? You're going to come to my church on Sunday? He, unqualified, right? Steps in front. He has no sin. Cast the first stone. It was out of that love towards that person, right? And then it says, go and sin no more. Then we then we get uh, in the New Testament later, it says to confront your brother, one, two, three, bring somebody. Out. There's like a little process here before they're being, you know, detrimental to that. But the, the, the phrase that I heard that I thought was so good is when you evangelize or when you speak to people or you're trying to pull people out of the muck, right, the hand up aspect of it. It's not necessarily throwing at them the conviction of sin, but throwing at them the conviction of righteousness, and the difference of that is, is is me saying, Mike, you're this, you're that, you're no good, you're this and that. Look how messy you are. Your life is no good. And if I leave that, you you don't leave that conversation with, you're right, I can do this. You know, It's like, wow, I am an absolute no disaster. Yeah. That's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin. Right? When you do something wrong, you know you're doing something wrong. Right? You do, that, that's the job of the Holy Spirit to do that. But when you're doing it with somebody else, it's you're better than this. Mm-hmm. You you were meant for something greater than this, and you can see Jesus doing this. We were we were reading Romans eight last night uh, at, at Bible study, and you could see the clear confusion going on between the Romans being called children of God, versus when Paul is trying to anoint them as brothers and sisters to the children of God. And in Romans eight, you could see the battle going back and forth, and we were, we were reading through the conversation. And the whole time, Paul is calling out their identity the whole time. He's not saying, you worship this God, you do this, you murder these people, you rule wickedly, you're all selfish. It is, he, he's legitimately just pulling this their identity out of them with their words, ignoring all of their reactions to everything whatsoever. And then, and then he, like, stamps that and at the end of Romans 8 when it says, like, he says the creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. They were waiting for us to walk into our identity as sons and daughters where non-national Jewish people can be called children of God. The world is waiting for that to be to be echoed out, to walk in our new identity under the new covenant. And it's the same way when people, like when I see somebody who's struggling or somebody who's in sin, you know, you can sit down and come on, man, you know you, know you shouldn't be doing this right now. You're better than, you're meant to do this. You're meant to have a great marriage and, and be a great dad and lead a great life and be, make an impact that goes there. And again, another topic we're hitting on, uh, it's a little bit of my message on on our, on our this New Year's, New Year's Day Sunday is, is we're going to sacrifice successful to be significant uh, in going into the new year, you know, where, where anybody could have been successful. Everybody could be successful. We don't talk about successful people. We talk about significant people. Uh, the, the, the apostles at the gate in, in the book of Acts, you got the man lame, crippled at the, at, the, at the gate, and he asked for money. And if they gave him money and just walked away, it's like, oh, those guys did nice, did a nice thing. They gave this guy money. They gave this guy jewels or food or whatever. Uh, and that guy would have been happy for the moment, and, and, and all is fine. But we wouldn't be talking about them today right. because they did a, a, a nice thing. 
but what they gave him was something more, right? They put their hand out, right? And the whole message of sometimes people don't need a hand out, they need a hand up. They mm-hmm. touch him, they lift him back up on his feet, and now they uh, created something in him, the ability to walk on his own, the ability to create on his own. Mm-hmm. And now he can now just do what he's called them to do, and it allows us. Now we're talking about what they did, not because of what they gave him, but because of what they did for him, successful and significant, the difference there. Amen. Yeah, that's, you know, again, it, it leads in on what, what is our mission? What yeah. is the church's mission? Is it to, you know, create a bunch of good people, right. you know, behavior modification, or is it to be a people that are transforming ourselves, allowing, well, not even, uh, let me back that up and say, allowing God to transform us, and through that transformation, of course, transforming others, and again, just being a a beautiful picture of the grace of God, of, right. of what God is doing in the world. Right. If we have that attitude, it seems to change what we're what we're creating and how we're going about doing that. You know, I want to see somebody, uh, my goal for a disciple of Christ is to see somebody that's constantly examining themselves, constantly growing and transforming into, a, by the renewing of their minds, right? You right. see in Romans 12, which a couple chapters after your Romans right. 8 text there, um, they're growing in their identity by the renewing of their mind. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that's what we want to see. That's what God right. wants to see. And I believe it's, you know, if we keep that in mind in everything that we do, Again, it causes us to give grace. Well, they're undergoing the renewing of their mind. Right. You, you know, uh, and it, it causes us all to have grace with our, ourselves. I know for myself, I'm always saying that, you know, it's it wasn't that I, I'm of a renewed mind. I'm of a renewing mind. Yeah. My mind is always being changed and transformed by the grace of God. And, again, I just think that, and we know this, you know, and I'm glad to see that there's a lot of growth against that at this point in the, the church uh, life where we realize behavior modification is not, is not the the message of the gospel. Right. Uh, You know, hopefully you're being modified. You're continually being modified, if you will. Uh, However, behavior modification, as it's known, is just not a good... Yeah, not a good focal point, at least. To me, behavior modification is a byproduct of being focused on Christ. Sure. I I heard a lesson on that years ago that really stuck with me. It was about, you know, the tree, the, the tree that's rightly planted. You don't see trees ripping at the seams to, you know, produce apples. Yeah, yeah. A tree that is healthily, you know, rightly planted, is watered, is nourished, will produce apples. Right. You know, so, or whatever fruit it's supposed to produce. Um, that's, in, and if you see a infe- dis- or an infected fruit, you would obviously say, well, where's the problem? It wouldn't be on the, the external, it would be at the root. Right. right. It would be somewhere that you'd have to do some digging. Right. Uh, to highlight the podcast there dig in there you go and, uh, you there know you so <laughs> that's right you even got the drum set in um you know so again i, I think it's that is it's, it's so important for us to recognize what is our mission and if we can really just become a people you know i love the the, the idea of the missional church uh if we would just realize our mission in everything we do if we'd allow that to lead us in the way we disciple each other the way we communicate with each other it's all about the mission yeah it's not about having the right answers today it's about the ongoing mission of god the permanent revolution as i saw you have a book yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. up there you know alan hirsch there that's it uh it's the permanent revolution so if we think about god is permanently creating a revolution in our society how does that cause us to treat ourselves yeah right we're always examining ourselves right. we're always growing how does it cause us to treat other people um, what does it cause us to do what institutions are we seeking to develop and then in the midst of that sometimes you know, I'm always this person where if you build it, it has to last. Where I've learned, no, that's not the way God does. Things. Right. God has has the habit of, uh, in Jeremiah, what does he say? He says, I call you to plant, to uproot, to yep. destroy. Right. God has a habit of doing different things in different seasons. Yep. So uh, 
think about that, just how powerful that is on the way we respond to the world, the way we live our lives in the world. Um, you know, I'm on the, the grace and the authenticity I'm growing in in my life is becoming comfortable with that. Yeah. Like, this is God's permanent revolution. Right. It's not going to look the way that Mike Miano wants it to look uh, ever. You know, right. It, it, thank God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. That's why he's God. That's right. And Amen. we're not. Amen. So, yeah, I think the mission, you know, all in all, what you, you were saying there provoked me to think Romans 8, is, by and large, is the mission of God, right? That we would walk in the, the, the identity as the children of God. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just think that's so important for us to consider. Yeah, you've always been very missional-minded, transformative. Uh, I guess it's a good kind of leadway into, into you, uh, you know, former gang member, right? Transformed by the grace of Transformed God. Transformed by that's the right. grace of God. Why, why – like, what do you feel like was a um, – I guess, an instrumental point in your life where you thought the gang life was the best life? Like, what drew you to that? Because um, I don't think anybody wakes up randomly and goes, you know what? I want to join a gang today. No, no. I, I think, well, identity-wise, I think it wasn't obviously when I first joined. When I first joined, I was a young kid. I was 13 years old. It was something to do. It right. really wasn't, like, I didn't have this, here I am, this lonely guy, and I need a family. You know, that, that wasn't the story. It was <laughs> just something to do. You know? Gotcha. Uh, it would be years later, unfortunately, and that's why, you know, gangs are so destructive is because what happens is is it becomes your identity. It becomes who you know yourself to be. I remember, as I mentioned, I went to therapy, and one of the things the therapist used to challenge me with was describe yourself outside of titles. Who's Mike? You know, who are you? And I couldn't. It was like a problem for me. It was my whole identity was caught up in this tough guy, gang member, you know, and I'm still that person. I'm still dealing with the undoing of allowing titles to define who I am. Mm. And uh, so at that time, that was my sort of challenge. And uh, I'd say probably about 17, 18 uh, was where due to living in that lifestyle for so long, uh, you kind of lost all your other friends. Your other friends, they don't really understand this world. You know? right. It's almost like a cult. You know, you get into a cult and the, the, the people around you can't understand. You, you feel as though they can't understand you and they never will. And so you, it becomes your whole identity. It just becomes who you're going to be. And for me, that was, I'd say, about 17, 18 was really when I felt, you know, hopeless, I guess you could say. And I wouldn't have described it like that then, of course. Uh, you know, I have a lot of hindsight bias now. Um, looking back and saying, you know, what was wrong? What was going on? And I just, I had no goals. I had no hope. I had no, you know, no identity outside of that. And I didn't, you know, I grew up in a broken home. I grew up, you know, my mother was addicted to drugs when I was younger and, um, you know, bounced around between a lot of family members and stuff. So it had an effect on me where it just, I guess, well, now looking back, I didn't have an identity. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was loved by. You know, what's the goal of life? And a gang offered that stability yeah that stability that purpose that and again eventually it did offer family a sense of family and identity right. um yeah so you know th yeah i hope that answered your question yeah no it, yeah it's because your story is 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 interesting if you look at mike's timeline right i look at your 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 timeline of your of your social media it's like all right see your testimony see you were in a gang see you went to jail and i see you in Palestine, right? Was it Palestine? Yeah. And then Florida. And now you're pastoring a church over here. And now we're sitting, drinking tea together, having a conversation about the Bible and Permanent God. Permanent revolution, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amen. You Permanent know. transformation, right? That's but right. yeah, it's like what are those things that are drawn in? Because like you t we're talking about with the roots, right? Your story is not um, 
it's not one of a kind in the sense like there are other people who went down that route of gangs, then goes to jail and then finds God, right? There, there are people who go down that route, and it's like getting to the root. Like how do how do we stop the root of these things uh, to fix that maybe would have not had thirteen year old Mike end up going turning into a gang and then end up going to jail? And again, all things work together for good, right? And God, you know, woke you up in there, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, but it's it's like do you think that a, a solid family home or a solid church relationship, male relationship, female, I don't, you know, you tell me, you know, what are some of the things that could have impacted your life and your decisions where somebody could have guided you to say no, no, this is, there and you and the secondary on that question, the other people in the gang, do you feel like they had similar backgrounds to you or where they were coming from? Yeah, I, I think that you know, I think I came from a. Again, we're here on Long Island. Our gang situation's a bit different. Um, you know, we're middle class, you know, society. So I, I w- my broken home wasn't as, or my, uh, my poor wasn't as poor as some people. You know, I lived, you know, nice house. I had heat here and there. Uh, you know, <laughs> when they paid the bill, uh, we had running water when they paid the bill. Um, you know, different things like that. Um, here on Long Island, I would say majority of the, the case would be uh, people join gangs because of the feeling disenfranchised from their home situation, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, lack of a male role model. Um, yeah, but that would be the majority. Now, again, it's different. I can only speak to what I understand here on Long Island. Sure, sure. And um, because I did some work in Fort Myers, Florida with the gang situation there, and there was some differences. You know, it's different per place. And again, it boils back to uh, a theme that we seem to have on today's podcast would be authenticity. Right. Um, you know, I think if, if we're going to be authentic, we have to recognize there's no cookie-cutter situation. No. Nope. So the first thing... When it comes to children, is we have to treat children as children. We have to help them have foundations. We have to not always say that the foundation that worked with, you know, I'm sure you would be able to speak to this far better than me. Um, You know, this situation, while it might look like this with this child, it's not going to be identical Mm -hmm. with this child. You know, you have to allow personality. You have to allow some rules would work with this child. And just because those rules don't work with this child doesn't make that child a bad child. So good. Yeah. Right? So good. So, yeah. So when it comes to, Doing that with a child, I think that that's what there needs to be authenticity in parenting. Yeah, th- dude, I, I, you know, I have five kids. Every one is a different personality, mm. and so, some of my children need that hard discipline. Others, I cannot discipline that way uh, because it will break them. Right. It's they just the way they receive. Right. It's such a reflection on the church, right? And when we say, first off, you know, male role model. When we say men step up in the church, it doesn't mean, hey, attend church on Sundays and lift your hands and sing your favorite songs, then go home. That's not what we're asking. Uh, although part of it, it, you're asking to go camping. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's go camp. Join the softball team. Right. And let's try to get a church church uh, gold. Right now, the, it's it's men being present in the lives of not only their children but other children of broken homes and there being able to have that conversation and talk. But I love the analogy that you made, Mike. Was that like you know, there's not one way, and oh, just because you do it one way doesn't mean the other way is wrong way. Like if a kid receives this in a different way. But how much in the church is it our way or no way, right? Where it's like if you don't do it the way I want to do, then you're out, and and this is and this is in where Jesus describes himself. I love that as living waters, right? Waters flow and they move around different things. And if we were to be all things to all men and meet people where they were at, and even uh, teach the gospel in all different types of ways, there's no one way to minister right. Jesus, right? Uh, but no, back on uh, back on to that. It just made me think of that because you're right um, of. Uh, yeah, I guess it would be different too from Long Island and different areas because well, different circumstances. And even with so speaking to the the gang situation, I would say that you know when, if we're talking about children when they were young, right? We're talking about you know trying to catch somebody in my situation. I was a young kid. Um, 
I needed male role model. We know a lot of this stuff. And again, it's being authentic in our approach to it. You know, what does it mean I made right. the joke about the camping? Because that's not, you know, what being the male role model necessarily is. Uh, you know, that's great and all, but I think there's, we need to have better classes to teach men, you know, morals to challenge men uh, to talk to other men authentic authentically and again it all requires authenticity we cannot be an authentic people to help or even authentic parents to help lead kids away from joining gangs if we're not being authentic amongst ourselves yeah you're right so you know that's where looking back on my experience i think uh, there was a lot lacking and i think it yeah. was the lack of you know authentic parenting uh, you know which Obviously, drug abuse and things like that led that to be problematic. However, there were some really good moments in my upbringing, which I've been highlighting on some uh, discussions I've been having with folks, where, um, in my experience, there were authentic people. There were authentic gang members. That was something that was obviously intrigued me about You know, mm. that lifestyle, was that my gang leaders, so to speak, were authentic with me and yeah. treated me like a child, but also tried to build me up. Uh, I had family members that tried to lean in and... Uh, do everything they could to give me foundation where they saw I was lacking. And each of those moments as I look back and I learn, you know, you learn so much uh, growing up. I'm like 38 looking back on being a 10-year-old all the time and, and just realizing or obviously raising children, you know, that causes you to reflect on, wow, I didn't realize how I was acting at that time. And I've been doing that lately and really realizing there were a lot of authentic moments with people in my life that tried to yeah. provide foundation. So, you know, I guess all in all I would say, all we can do is our best. Yeah. You know, I think about here on Long Island, you know, I want to lead every young person away from any destructive lifestyle. All we can do is offer up our best is be and be authentic, as authentic as we can be. Right. Um, provide the foundations, live and learn. I think that's a key for me, living and learning. Um, actually learning. And right. Applying that to your living, you know, um, and doing that and showing teenagers that maybe we don't know it all and, you know, that we, we, we're willing to grapple with them. Right. Uh, there's a lot that I think can go into that but I think we've said enough about the authenticity uh, picture there to be a people that, and when I say that, what I mean is, you know, demask, yes. Admit that we have problems. Yeah. Admit that we're, we don't know all the answers. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, on Long Island, we've had ample opportunity here to say we didn't have the answers. You know, there was years ago, we obviously saw an influx of gang situation here on Long Island. And unfortunately, it did lead to a lot of the institutions that are here on Long Island to have to kind of put our hands up in the air and say, we don't really know what the right thing to do is. Right. And I think that's healthy. Believe it or not, I, as you know, and again, speaking to the church, I think it's important for the church to be a place where sometimes we just don't know. Right. You know, we, we're, we're still growing. We're still examining this doctrine. We're still, you know, examining uh, this topic and seeing how we can respond. You see this with, uh, you know, racial issues in the church and sexuality. I think, you know, most people, and I've done a, quite a bit of reading on this to be able to speak to it, Sexuality is just now blossoming upon our society. I know everybody right. points back to the Roman Empire and all that stuff. It was a whole different world. Yeah. But in a world where we're free thinkers and we're allowed to be individuals and we're allowed to have all these different identities and carry multiple identities at once, this is new to our world. Yeah, we're dealing with a lot, yeah. Yeah, we can't look back to the Roman Empire and figure, how did the Christians deal with this in the Roman <laughs> Empire? We, you know, we, <laughs> we, we have to be yeah. honest and authentic with our situation now. And there's going to be different responses that are going to happen at different times. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot that could be said there. But I think healing the nations requires, again, admitting that we're we're messy. It's going to be messy. Yeah, got to stop trying to pretty it up and make it look. You know, the church is healing the nations. Look, we build hospitals. No, we also are a mess. Yeah, and it's 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 also about being effective. You know, like you know, with all these new things, 
that we're dealing with for the first time. I mean, just think about something as basic as like social media. The apostles didn't have to deal with social media. The apostles didn't have sexuality thrown in their faces the way we have sexuality thrown in their faces. Every TV commercial, YouTube video, ad things. I mean, we're guarding our minds and ears and, and doing the best we can against stuff that, that they never had to. I mean, these guys are in a cave for six months. Like, this is so strange. You know, uh, it's... Which brought on its own problems. Which brought on different problems that we have no idea, right, right. That, that, right. that we face. But, yeah, man, the authenticity does seem to be the topic. So, yeah, so you went through that, and then you end up going to jail. Mm-hmm. Right? You old enough? To, you killed Jimmy Hoffa? Was that you? Not allowed to tell anybody. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so, blank, and then he ends up in jail. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, I ended up in jail for, um, I uh, had weapon possession again. You know, the, the lifestyle from 13 to 19. I went to prison at 19. Um, from 13 to 19, I pretty much, you know, I was in and out of jail. From 16 to 19, I was in and out of our county jail, back and forth. I spent more time in the local prison from 16 to 19 than I spent home. Wow. So, you know, you can almost chalk that up to three years. Right. And then 13 to 16, again, you know, uh, for the most part, I was used as like a, I was a kid. I was a runner. I would help out different things. I, unfortunately, like, had my gang identity here in this neighborhood that you pastoring, you know, Wine Danch and... Deer Park, so um, for certain parts, I would just be a kid. For me, I didn't understand what I was doing. Right. You know, it wasn't this glamorous lifestyle that I think most people picture. Uh-huh. I was just a kid around a bunch of adults or people that were older than myself. And um, as I got older, you know, you can't do much with a 13-year-old kid. When you're 15, 16, now I'm fighting in high school. I'm kind of getting my identity in the gang. And uh, that was growing up, 13 to 16, 16 to 19, you'd imagine. Now I'm going to jail. I'm becoming a, you know, the, the, the bad guy. I wasn't sure if this is an edited podcast. So, no. Uh, the bad guy. That, uh, Say whatever you want, um, man. It's all good. Uh, like he's cursing on the podcast. That's though. all right. But no, Curse um, away. So no, he's, uh, <laughs> I was building up this identity as being a bad guy. And um, then uh, 19 came and, you know, I went to prison and I was went to prison for a weapon possession. Uh, never possessed a weapon. It was a big gang mess. You know, you live the lifestyle, you reap what you sow. Yeah. You, you know, so... Uh, I was at a moment where, unfortunately, I was kind of between a rock and a hard place. I didn't do this crime, but unfortunately, it's being pinned upon me, and you know, so so be it. Took right. three years in prison, and uh, obviously, at that point, I was like, "I'm the man. Look at me. I mean, I've made this reputation. I'm in prison for something I didn't do, and it it, it really helped. You know, prison life, uh, for the lack of a better uh, phrase, sucks. You know, but then again, uh, if you can put it in your head, your perspective is everything. So for yeah. me, this was my my world. Until I realized what prison was really like. Yeah. Um, and then what ended up happening in my, my experience in prison was just depression. You know, I realized uh, in the gang life, there's you'll never please everybody. You know, they used to always say, what's that? Uh, there's always a bigger guy than, you know. Yeah, there's always something bigger than you. Yeah, than you, right? Yeah. right. So, um, so for me, I realized that as a 22-year-old man in prison, I'm realizing, mm-hmm. what am I living for? You know, I'm, I, and I was living it up. I'll tell you. You know, I have prison stories for days. We could do podcasts just on prison stories. Right. Um, you know, so I sat there and I remember just feeling this utter despair. And obviously, now hindsight bias, I look back and I'm like, that was God. God was like, what are you doing? You know, what is this? And I sat there and you know, great identity in my gang. Everybody seems to, you know, not everybody loved me, but you know, the people that I cared about loved me. Uh, everybody else seemed to hate me. <laughs> And, uh, you know, to today, right? and yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm telling you, <laughs> if I might say this, you know, we'll get in on that here in a moment. God built me up through my experiences in hindsight bias. You know, I, I sit there and a lot, a lot of times I reflect lately and I just find myself 
looking back, I'm like, man, God is so good. Like he, he knew what he was doing. He was like, I'm going to, you'll experience a little bit of this and then it'll help build you up for this. Yeah. So yeah, because again, I joined a gang that was not very liked in the New York state prison system. So, you know, before you think, oh, he went to prison and he was with all his friends. No, I wasn't. I was, you know, sheep amongst wolves. It was, it was pretty bad. And, you know, um, I tried, you know, I maintained that identity until this moment of despair. And I knew I needed something different. I needed something different. And because of that lack of authenticity in the Christian community, in the church, I knew it wasn't Christianity that I needed. You know, come on. It's my Nana was a Christian. She's as much as a, a beautiful woman she, she is. And, and she, you know, I always known in my life, I said, Nana never even got a, a speeding ticket. She's such a righteous woman. There was no real pull for me to that, that faith. Right. I did go to Catholic religion. Right. Again, it was sit in the back. I wasn't baptized as a child, so I couldn't even receive communion. So I was just kind of there. You no know. wafer for you. Yeah, yeah. No wafer. No, no communion. No, no communion. You're missing out. On yeah, no. Wafers. Yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you, right? I, um, now I'm allowed to eat the wafer. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> depends where I go. That's a topic for another time. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. So you know, I, I find myself disenfranchised from you know Christian faith. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, I started to gravitate toward Islam, and I kind of went on a journey um, of just wanting to learn different things. And I'd say the gang life, interestingly enough, uh, my gang leaders used to encourage me to read. So I became a pretty avid reader at a young age. And, you know, even in the gang life, people would joke, if, Mike, if there's a book out there, Mike's probably read it. You know, right. they would even joke, gangs have like gang literature and things like that. And I was always known for knowing. I was a know-it-all. I suffer from that pr problem today. So pray for me. <laughs> um, you know, and I talked about what God built me up. So anyway, I was in prison. And, and, and again, just where my story would start, my testimony, if you will, would be with utter despair, with just, what am I doing? Why am I living yeah. like this? You know, who am I pleasing? You know, now that I'm this, you know, badass that's in jail, blah, 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 you know, uh, you're in jail for something you didn't do. You're going to go home in a year. Now what? Right. You know, what's going to happen? And it, it really just hit me, and I knew I needed to be, I needed something different, and, uh, so I, I kind of began studying religion, and um, yeah. Do you want me to continue? Yeah. That? All right. So I'll just yeah, I'll, I'll mention I you know I studied the gamut. You know I read the Zohar. Uh, they have the law library that you could go down to in prison and stuff. So I would make it my business. I didn't want to hang out with the knuckleheads in the yard. Um, you know I had gotten quite a bit of com confrontations, and at this point I felt that I made my mark. You know I'm good. I'm, I just want to go home. Right. So you know I started going to the law library and uh, doing a lot of reading. Read the Zohar. Read you know bits about Greek mythology and this and that and you know, I, that wouldn't make much sense. So then I ended up studying with the Muslims, and, uh, you know, I found myself, uh, I liked the identity. It felt very similar. You know, there was a brotherhood. There was very, you know, I can, I can get along with this. There was the, uh, what I liked in contrast to the Christian identity was if somebody slaps me on my right cheek, I go get my brothers. Gotcha. I don't have to turn the other cheek. You know, right. that was something that appealed to me early The grace on. is offensive. It's offensive yeah, to yeah, turn yeah, the other yeah, cheek. Yeah, they ain't turning all the cheek. Gotta cheap. forgive these people? What you talking about? <laughs> so, um, you know, so for that, it, it appealed to me. And I, I also liked, you know, to uh, I'm fascinated with the Middle East. I love Middle Eastern culture, um, you know, and I was fascinated by the fact that here are men that are in prison that are learning another language. And what are the Christians doing? They're going to yell at you in the yard, tell you how much of a sinner you are. It was just, I, I didn't really, uh, you know, the, what I had known of Christians up to that point were my family members and here and there, somebody that might join you in a conversation and tell you how much of a sinner you are and you need to be led in a prayer. And, you know, right. I didn't need it. So... Um, Islam appealed to me. I can learn. I love to learn. So I can I can learn Arabic. I can you know, devote my life to this. Maybe 
when I get out of prison, I'll move to the Middle East or something, you know? And, and again, the, and I will say the violent nature appealed to me at mm. that time. It was, you know, not saying that all Muslims are violent, right. but the, the appeal to the way that it at least was made known in the prison system was that, you know, in contrast to Christianity, you have this brotherhood that will support you. And again, that was very important in the prison system uh, for many reasons. So, um, started studying Islam and, uh, obviously always had that nagging question, like, what do Muslims say about Christianity? And uh, the, the gentleman that was kind of training me up in Islam, he had a, a very adverse attitude to Western culture. So, uh, you know, he would always give me these books about, you know, Jesus, the prophet of Islam, and, and kind of helping me understand why this was so different to right. Christianity. And um, honestly, I, re I remember reading, I still have the book. Uh, it's a book called Jesus, the prophet of Islam. And it got to a point where I started to ask myself the historicity of it all. And again, I'm just this gang member, you might say, for the lack of a better way of saying it, bored in prison, uh, reading right. and, and learning. And um, yeah, so as I, I read through this book, and it brought me to a couple different concepts uh, in regards to Islam and um, let's say inerrancy and you know how the, the Quran and what the Quran says it means, you know, right. and understood in Arabic, et cetera. So, uh, and how the Torah and the Injil, the new, the gospel, uh, are, cannot be uh, altered, you know, that they are the true words of God when understood in their original languages, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. So I began, obviously, questioning stuff. Like, okay, well, do we have any copies of those writings? You know, what would the Christian say to a Muslim? You know, and I just began to kind of battle this out in my head mm -hmm. and ask my, I'm telling you, God really built me up to be the person I am. Uh, so I began to kind of battle it out with this gentleman that was teaching me Islam. And uh, I found myself disagreeing. I said, you know, something's not right with the historicity. Right. Namely, in the 600s, Muhammad goes into a cave and receives this revelation, the Quran. Then he's telling people to talk to other Christians because they know they have knowledge of the way. So that would mean that the Christians at his time had the gospel. Right. Okay. And he's telling his followers to read the gospels, by the way. So now somehow since then, everything's been changed. However, we know what Muhammad possibly didn't anticipate was carbon dating. It's not no longer, uh, you know, my sword is longer than yours, so my writing is older than yours. Right. Now we can actually do the scientific do the science dating part, yeah. and realize, no, no, that writing's older than that writing. And that changes things. Yeah. It changes that whole conversation. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was like, you know, there's more that needs to be said. And all I did was bring it up. And I was told, don't, don't bring that up. Really? Don't talk to anybody about that. Really? Yeah. And e even by the imam. Really? So, wow. So now, I'm like, I'm on to something here. So I begin telling people. And, uh, you know, again, I wasn't a Muslim. I wasn't identified as a Muslim at this point. I did not take a shahada. I was just learning. on a learning journey. Sure. And to make a long story short, I was told I was no longer allowed to talk to the brothers in the yard. Oh, my gosh. I, and just because what I had done was I asked my mother, to, by the way, at this point, my mother's clean. She's, you know, writing me while I'm in prison and corresponding with me. I asked her to uh, send me a copy of the, um, the Gnostic scriptures and okay. uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay. I want to be able to, you know, mess around <laughs> with this stuff here. Again, you know. Ma, I need this right away. Ma, I need yeah. you. All right, so make this list. I need Tic Tacs. <laughs> I need the Gnostic. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's funny. I never actually thought about that. What, what was my family thinking? Um, hey, when you go out to the store, you might need some things. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if you, I won't give you the whole book list. It was, they, they definitely thought I was nuts. Now I'm telling you, causing me to give grace to my mother. Um, my mom says sometimes, she's like, yeah, he went crazy in prison. And I always think, why is she saying that? 
you had me thinking about the book list, the checklist <laughs> I gave her. She's like, oh, man. Um, send a little bit of spam, you know, and uh, right, I'm not right. even going to say any of the books. Some of them were a nightmare. I wanted to learn, you know. Right. And, and I do. I attribute all of that to God. I really do. Imagine that. I'm this kid that I'm in prison now. I'm 19, what, now I went to prison 19. I'm about 22 years old at this point. Uh, two years in prison, I was in and out of the box. I, it was like my 16 to 19-year-old story. There. Sure. Unfortunately, I have a I have a habit of being an extremist in some regards. So it's like, I'm going to go into jail, and I'm just going to live it up. You know? right. and say, okay, well, here's the hole. Six months. Um, oh so <laughs> I did. I Unfortunately, I did three months in the box, and I did six months in the box. You did six months in the box? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a problem, man. I, yeah, I had a... So how so how big is this box? Like what? How 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 big is the box? Oh man, jail stories. All right, so I'll tell you real quickly. So your 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 cell in the box is probably depends where you are now. Because you know in the movies, you're in like a casket in the box, and it's like at the do- bottom of like in a dark b- hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you watch Netflix, you could watch the Attica uh, story there on Netflix, and that changed New York State prison. So ever okay. since the Attica riots, um, not to want to make humor around that, um, ever since that situation. New York State Prison has a lot more human rights. So that's why you'll watch these videos on Instagram of uh, prisons in Alabama and things. It's like, oh, my gosh, like freezing water coming down and stuff. That'll never happen in a New York State prison. There's too many rights and too many uh, organizations. Now, again, we know there are things that happen in prison. It's prison. So it's going to unfortunately be we live in a messy world where even the people that are in high places and that are supposed to be the responsible ones – are not. No you way. You were talking to that before, right? I mean, you were talking about those pastors. I'm shocked. Uh, geesh. Um, so, yeah, so prison, the prison system is a nightmare, you know, not to make pretty of it. But, again, here in New York State, there's a lot more uh, human rights uh, things. So the box is probably the size. In, in the prison that I was in, well, again, this is how it works. So when you first go to the box, they put you in a cell by yourself. Okay. And the cell's probably the size of this. It's not too small, right, this little cubicle so, we're here okay in here um you'd have your bed you'd have your sink you'd have a window uh, that's part of human rights you have to have a window that you can see some sort of light and if you can't see the light there has to be time for you to go out into the light outside and you, you have an hour outside fresh air you, ha- you have to be allowed that either opening a door or uh opening a door or being brought out to a facility like fenced in facility where you're outside right <clears throat> excuse me um yeah, so that you know that's how the box would be generally this size, and when you're there for about thirty days, and if you show that you won't throw feces through the windows or do all those fun sorts of things people do there, um, then you can be moved to a double cell. Okay, and that's usually if you get like more than two months because of uh, the need for human, you know, communication and so forth. Uh, because again, I was just having this conversation with someone the other day. In New York State, we call our we don't call them prisons; we call them correctional facilities. So what we're saying is when we send someone there, they're able to be corrected. Right. So you can't just say, I'm going to throw them in a hole, and in five years we're going to release them, and they were corrected. They're, they're going to be right. a nightmare. Um, so we know that in our facilities there's the need for human interaction. So what they'll do is if you're doing more than two months, they'll put you, and you've shown that you can be stable and you're not going to be violent, you could be put in a cell about this size with another person. They joke, they call it being married. And, uh, you know, kind of are, you know, depending on how long you're going to be there. Um, and... Then you stay there, and it's it's not the best experience. You know, there's a lot that I was in. I ended up being put on medication there in the box. I, I couldn't, you know, just my – I was depressed. I, right. I didn't really know where I wanted to be in life and what I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, so, you know, that was – the box was a mess. Wow. And, you know, prison was a nightmare. Let yeah. me say that. And then to make a, a prison journey uh, that was way too long, uh, short here, um, 
I began to question Islam, and uh, my gang actually had stuck up for me to not be uh, attacked by the Muslims. Uh, you know, basically, if you attack him, you know, it's going to be a big issue. And um, I was able to kind of just skate by being my agnostic self. Kind of, you know, I was started going to Catholic services, and uh, you know, I just I, well, I wasn't welcome at the masjid. I wasn't a Jew. I, I didn't identify in any way with the Jewish religion. Um, and a lot of the other variants that I could have went to, Baha'i and these different, I had no idea what that was. So when they were on the checklist, you know, in prison, you kind of circle your, what service you want to go to. Um, so I just started going to Catholic services to try to relax and um, no communication with anybody, as I mentioned before, it was kind of in and out, you know, I, I heard a message in half Latin, I was like, I guess I'm holier today. Sat there for an hour, <laughs> you know. God's doing something, you know. And, and how do you know? Uh, he spoke Latin. <laughs> yeah, you know. It was, I didn't know anything really. So then I left, and um, I remember to make a long story short, I ended up getting into a fight with someone. I got transferred, and uh, when I got to the next jail, I made or the next prison. I I, I made the uh, the choice to go to Protestant services. Okay. And man, did God use that time. Uh, so I made. The, I asked this guy in the cell next to me. I said, "How do I go to uh, Protestant services and you know go to?" Because I knew that at least there they seemed like they were more talking to each other. You know, right, you, right. You watch the people exit the facility. We all go to the same facility. You, you watch them exit, and the Catholics just kind of all go do their own thing. You know, uh, whereas the Christians kind of mingle and they had their own little court. Uh, you know, so I was like, okay, well, that's you know, and not to. I do believe Catholics are Christians. Yeah, uh, you know, me that's too. A separate conversation, of course. We're on Long Island. You know, that yeah. conversation is important. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. Uh, however, uh, that being said, I went to um, I went to the Protestant services, and they instead of just getting me plugged in on the Protestant services, this this guy I asked in the cell next to me actually introduced me to a. He said, "Oh, I have somebody you probably should talk to," and he introduced to me to this guy named Paul. And that man changed my life. Paul, he did what every Christian should do. And Paul, by the way, was in prison for murder. He um, had a murder charge. Uh, and he uh, he was apparently like the crazy Christian in the jail. Right? Okay. He is that guy, you know. And he said, yeah, you need to talk to him. So then um, I talked to Paul, and, you know, he, he came down to my level. He said, well, what are you interested in? He said, are you a Christian? I said, I kind of just want to go to church, you know. And I don't know. I don't know right. what it means to be a Christian. He was like... Well, uh, what are you into? And I said, well, I like science. I like politics. I like, you know, I like um, social sciences, not science itself. Um, and he said, all right, well, um, there's a lot in the Bible about politics. And all right, well, I'll come hang out and study with you, you know. Right. Um, I wouldn't sit at the Christian court because I was still identified with my gang, so I didn't want to bring the problems to the, the court or whatever. So, um I kind of just would walk around with him. We'd sit different places in the yard and talk. And uh, in prison, you get to go out for sometimes about three or four hours a day uh, if you're not in the box. And you know, right. um, so then I started going out there and I would talk with him, and um, it, it seemed exciting. I was going to be a part of the tribe of Dan, and I was going to be, you know, getting ready for the end times. And no. um, you know, we were going to move to the mountains. I mean, everybody on Long Island hated me, so it made sense. Right. And I said, "This is." Uh, this is all right. And he was from Buffalo, so I figured he knew what to do with the mountains and stuff. So it was like, <laughs> you know, this makes sense. And um, so then, obviously, uh, you know, not to make light of much, I went back to my cell, and I would I would talk with Paul, and it made sense, you know. And I was like, all right, well, stuff he made sense, but I was like, my gang life makes sense. Right. If you read the gang literature, it's like, yeah, you could make something out of that. So I kind of already had that warning up where it was like, 
anything can make sense. Islam made sense. Right. You, you know, so I began going back to my cell, and the first book that I read that really got me, grabbed my attention, it was like God was like, you know, and I would here and there, to be honest, my whole life. I remember even being 16 in the county jail and somebody telling me to go out to the yard and getting on my knees and being like, God, make it rain. Please make it rain so we don't go to the yard and I don't have to go out there. So I, I didn't even believe in God, you know, so I was just a kid just trying to right. grope and reach out to God. If you're there, please help me. Right. right. Um, you know, however, I went back to my cell and I would do that every night and kind of just ask God if they're, you know, if you're, if you're real, I mean, I need something. I mean, I'm going to go home and what am I going to do with my life? Um, and I went back to my cell with the book, um, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, yeah. I remember I read it, and it seemed to answer some of those tricky questions that I had with the Muslims. And now, again, that, that was just information. I was like, all right, well, this might be, uh, I might be on something here. This right. seems to be right. You know, and that was like the, the, the whole Jesus in the tomb, the body in the tomb got me. I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's not really many other ways you could cut it. Right? Yeah, you know? right. I mean, what happened to the body, you know? The, the, and then you listen to the excuses and the logic. It's like, man. And that just it really got me. It got my attention, and I couldn't let go of it. And I would, like, ask people. I would ask the Muslims in the yard, what happened to the body, you know? And they'd be like, right. there was no body. Um, <laughs> uh, and there would be all these different things. And it became exciting for me. And then I, I, I don't really, I can't qualify when it was. But I remember one night just waking up and saying, I'm a Christian. I went out to the yard. I said, what do I have to do to become a Christian? And they all joked, obviously. And were like, it's not a gang initiation. Ha, 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 you know. And, um, Crucified. <laughs> yeah. and because in the prison, as I mentioned, they had like a table of like the Protestant Christians that would gather there and do Bible study, et cetera. So I went over to them and they said, well, you know, we'll pray with you and, you know, we'll uh, just continue to grow in the Lord. And, you know, you want to get baptized? I got baptized in the jail. And um, I'll tell you, that night my life changed. I got to see. How'd you get baptized in the jail? They have a baptism tank in the jail? Yeah, you can sign it. You sign up. They have like a little really? back room and they have, you know, some jails are different. Like the jail I was in, they had a, a like a tub. It was like a one that you could pick up and carry on your own. Okay, you know, okay. You could be, I was, it was big enough for me to lay in, but not like, you know, you crunch up. Yeah, and, of course, uh, of course. And they dunk you under, and um, yeah, and I was baptized by a Baptist, and uh, uh, if that matters to some folks. <laughs> um, so uh, then, yeah, and then I would go to Protestant services, and the difference between, obviously, something that's so important, you know, to young Christians, people that are just getting involved in the church and maybe have a similar story as me, uh, that was shared Paul told me this because I went to church. I started going to church. And as you, you know, you grow in the faith, you begin to look around. You're like, what is this mess? What are we doing? You know, yeah. maybe you get frustrated. Maybe you start thinking things need to be done different at the service you're in or whatever. I think about it. You know, I'm sure you've had somebody that maybe came to church once and, you know, they liked it here. They were excited, this and that. And then they come, you know, for a couple of years. All of a sudden now they're starting to say, well, why do we do, you know, why is that like that? And, and that's what began to happen. In my journey, it was you know, kind of accelerated. I'd say within three months, I was sitting there looking around like, so why don't we see any of these other people in the yard studying with us? Right. And he was like, don't, don't do that. And I remember the one thing he said to me, he said, if you make it a horizontal focus, you'll get distracted very easily. Wow, that's he good. Said, always keep a vertical focus. And again, because in the prison system, you'd imagine, so the church that's environment good. is used for those that want to do sexual things. Well, you go to church, you hide in the back, and that's where that stuff gets done. Right. Like I'm dry snitching on someone, but hey, that's what's <laughs> going on, folks. Um, you know, uh, then um, you know there was just a lot, and there was like the people that were very like you know you see them in the yard, they don't even say hi to you, but then all of a sudden they're running in circles and waving flags, and 
you know, they love Jesus so much, you know, you know, it's like, I seen you in the yard, man. <laughs> who are you fool? Who are you fooling? <laughs> so there was a lot of that, you know, and right. and and again, extending grace. People grow in their own time, as we were talking about before. But that was the big key: was yeah. to keep my focus vertical and to never make it about anybody else's journey, what other people were doing. And uh, that man, Paul, he's out of prison, by the way. Uh, I think he still lives in Buffalo, and uh, he's doing good. And uh, he might be doing some work with me in the near future. Oh, so you guys still connected? Uh, yeah, we, we've connected since. He he doesn't like me because I'm the P word. And uh, oh. so, uh, you know, he, again, he loves me, but we, we disagree in ministry. Gotcha, okay. The, that's the yeah. right way to say it. Right. So, um, so yeah, the P word divided us for quite a bit. Um, mm. And uh, because, again, how are you going to be a part of the tribe of Dan and move to the mountains? Yeah, you can't do that. You know, kid, you're going off the, you're going off the grid in the wrong way. Um, so that being said, um, and, and that, I guess that's a good place to kind of, Get a bit more serious in this would be, uh, and please let me know. You got any questions? No, I'm this a storyteller, man. I'm no, man, love it. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I started studying with him, and again, it was exciting. You know, we were we were serious Christians. Yeah, that's that's what my identity became at that point. I love it. I'm a serious Christian. Now, some people might be listening and asking. Maybe you're even wondering, well, what happened with the gang identity? I just stopped hanging out with those people in the yard. No punishment at all. So again, different gangs operate differently, um, and in different places. Okay. So. Here, New York, uh, my gang is not exactly the most organized. Uh, you know, they're one of the most organized gangs in the United States. However, they're not organized in New York. So luckily and unfortunately, due to death of leaders, a lot of other issues, it fragmented. So okay. by the time I was in New York State Prison, there was no real structure to really punish me. Gotcha. Okay. Now, obviously, some people worry, well, now you're doing podcasts and telling people about that. I would encourage most people, unless you're a part of a gang that has made it you know, and again, probably not speaking to gang members, but speaking to parents of kids that are involved in gangs. Um, if you suspect that, the best thing you can do is start cutting off the communication. And I know some kids will put up the, you know, the, I, I used it. You know, they'll kill me if I don't go. Right. Cut off the communication. If you don't, the other option is they stay entrenched in this. Um, in most cases, I know we get all the, it's like the news. You know, the news tells you all the, the, the bad, bad news. It's like the, the crazy stories, yeah. Place. Yeah, that's not the that's not reality. Most cases, if you can cut off communication and move away, and not I'm not talking about even move, you know, pick up and move your house, just stop associating. Most of the time, the gangs are going to be, you know, pushing, you know, all right, well then we don't want to be a part of this. We're not going to hunt them down. Right. The cases you hear about are cases where there was active court cases going on, and you know, snitching was happening, and all those right. borrow those phrases. I don't believe in snitching, by the way. So I want to make that clear. Um, that's criminal language, and I don't identify with criminal language. Um, see, I'm still doing undoing in my own life, by the way. Um, I was part of a program a couple years ago where we talked about that. You know, that's criminal language, snitching. What we're saying is if somebody did something wrong, should you tell? Right. Yeah, that's a lesson you learned when you were four. Right? Right. I mean, hello. Um, so, you know, conversation for another time maybe, but I think that's an important thing to make. I don't want, you know, I, I think it's important for us to undo that damage. You right. Know, and in my lifestyle, that was, it was like rhetoric that I was right. taught, you know, snitching, snitching, and then you're taught, you know, not to do that. But then when you see something wrong happening and not fair, oppressive, we as Christians especially are called to, you know, be the, the, the voice of the voiceless. Sure. So, um, but again, I say that because with the gang lifestyle, there are very different, again, it's, it's messy. There's very different, and you have to be the gauge. However, my instruction to parents would be to cut off communication. Don't mm. don't buy the excuse. Then call the police. You know, there's so many other venues you could do than to just kind of propagate it because of fear 
that they're going to come after us if we don't continue in this lifestyle. Right, right. Get, get out of it. Um, so for me, I kind of just moved away from it. I, I stopped associating. I still have friends that are actively involved in, in the gang lifestyle. I still try to be a, a light in the midst of darkness in that regard. Let me be clear. Who I am today in 2022, when I first became a Christian, do you really, it wasn't that easy. It was, yeah. you know, I still had that identity. I still yeah, yeah. wrestled with it for years, you know, and even as I just said right here on your podcast, you know, I'm still undoing that damage. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I think about it, that's the key of transforming, you know, and renewing, not being transformed. I wasn't once broken and now all of a sudden I'm Mike Miano looking at right. <laughs> uh, um, So I go through, uh, eventually I got released from prison, praise be to God. And uh, that was obviously the, the run, you know, I'm going to get out of prison and, and one thing I'm excited to share, and, and it's a little bit of a boast, but I'll boast in the Lord, is that while I was in prison, uh, there were plenty of people that would say to me, he's going to be the one that's going to take it home. Mikey Scriptures, Mikey Bibles, that was my nicknames. You know, <laughs> he's going to take this home. He's going to take it home. And I remember one man, uh, this guy named Phil, uh, he had said to me, if you do take this home, write me back. I'll become a Christian. He said, because, you know, you're a light. And, and you know, and, and that was cool. I've had the privilege to write him back. He's actually working in North Carolina now. Okay. from prison. Out of, and, out of uh, prison? Yeah, out of oh, prison. Okay. And by the way, just to, uh, for folks that might know, you might not understand this, but I'll share it with you briefly. I was in Auburn Correctional Facility. That's a maximum A prison. That's where murderers, robbers, you know, the, the bad, bad people. You okay. Know, the, the, the people that we've like, deemed, we got to put them in the most secure facility. So these right. people aren't some, some you know, Phil was doing, what, 15 years. Paul was doing 20 to life. Um, here I was with three years. Right. That should help you understand how I made my prison time. Wow. It's a nightmare. Wow. Um, so, wow. so then I get out of prison, and obviously I want to get a job. I want to try to just be a better me. You know, yeah. and it was hard to kind of deal with, like, I still had my friends that I wanted to associate with. I still wanted to feel like a tough guy. Uh, still undoing that one. Um, <laughs> uh, so came home, and I started – I wanted to go to a local church. I believe it's important for Christians to be plugged into a local church. Yep. Um, I still believe that, if not more, I'm becoming more religious in my life. And, um, you know, I believe that. I believe it's important to have that low, healthy local congregation. And I tried. I looked around. I tried to visit other churches. I noticed, unfortunately, uh, for a guy with a teardrop on his face. And back then, when I first came home from prison, I wasn't exactly dressing, you know, as sharp as I am today. <laughs> um, no, you know, I was dressing baggy clothes, kind of just, this is who I am. You know, right. God accepts me like this. Why can't I go like this? And people would not talk to me. Wow. Nobody. Nobody would approach me. No, nothing. And and that's kind of how I, I, I was like, all right, well, if nobody's going to approach me. All the welcome. Yeah, any real conversation. All the welcome. Um, then I'm not really going to stay here. So I couldn't really find a place to be. And, um, and then... Paul, the man that led me to Christ, who was still in prison at the time, he said, well, why don't you just start a gathering of your own? Sounds like you have some friends and stuff that you can uh, gather together. And I started doing that. So here I was like the self-made preacher. I'm just going to gather everybody together, and we're going to possibly burn down mom's shed doing analogies about hell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but what was neat was we got people together. We, we got people reading the Bible. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so started doing that. And um, obviously... I knew that I needed something more. I needed a, a you know, I needed leaders. I needed some yeah. people to speak to my life. So I wanted to get into school. That was the next thing. I need to get into school. I need to do something. So I started looking into school and some other situations in my life at the time all led me to basically move to Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, I moved there. I got enrolled in school. I was doing Gordon-Conwell online. I was uh, part of the online curriculum was that I had to have an active internship. 
So I wrote to a church, talked to them on the phone. They said it was a big church that was growing at the time, so they were willing to welcome them in. Yeah, yeah get them out, get them, put them to work. And uh, I served there for a bit. And then this might lean in on, I guess, the rest of the, the podcast here, right? So, uh, young guy transformed. You know, I, I start go to this church and I say, uh, put me to work. They figure I'm good at. I like to study. If you know me, you know me now. You know, you right. know I like to study. This church noticed that. Uh, shout out to Pastor Matt Keller. Uh, he was the one that he basically was very big on gifts, and he said, "What are you good at?" And he was good at really sharpening down and helping people like chisel it down. Like he always would say to me. If you're, you're going to plant a garden, you don't take a bunch of seeds and just throw them out in a patch. He said, you mark out a patch, you nurture it, and then you put the seeds in. He said, and then you'll have a product. You'll have a, a garden. He said, yeah. and then he would share also, he'd say, what's the difference between that light and a laser? Well, lasers can cut glass. That light can't. That light's not strong enough. He said, you want your calling to be like a laser. You don't want it to be just a general light. Mm. It's not as sharp as it needs to be. Cool analogy. Yeah, All right, cool. cool. And um, so for me, it, it kind of made me obsessive about what's my calling? You know, what am I called to do? Who am I called to be? Uh, I know I'm called to bring everybody to the mountains, but we don't know when that's going to be. <laughs> so um, so th that's going to be important in this next part. So I got involved in this church, and they put me as a connection group pastor where I would go and I would study with different groups. And, you know, we'd watch uh, Francis Chan, Crazy Love. That's what was around at the time. Right. I would watch the series, read through the book, do some discussions. And I was somebody they felt was equipped to kind of lead that and um so i would go to these different groups and lead these different sessions and uh one day i heard a pastor preach and he said something about uh, i don't know what's going to happen in the end but i know it's all going to pan out and i sat there and i tried everything within me to make that work okay so I get it. There's differences. Now, again, I'm not college educated at this time. I'm just currently enrolling in school. Right. I'm doing this internship so I could stay in school. Right. Um, pan out in the end. You didn't enjoy the internship? I did. I, I thought the internship was good. Uh, okay. I, it was, well, unfortunately, you're going to see it was short-lived. Uh, so everything will pan out in the end. And I got to meet with these guys and talk about the end times. At this point, uh, they were very, everything was very generic. Right. There wasn't a lot of talk about theology or anything like that. So... Um, they knew I had a shtick. You know, they knew I had something, but they didn't care. They just right. kind of were like, whatever, let Mike believe whatever he wants. Whatever. Yeah, so then I, I started to ask them about, you know, the, the end times, started to ask them, you know, what do you mean by where we as a church are pan-tribulationists? It'll all pan out in the end. That's the okay. view. So I said... Wait, 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 time out. <laughs> we're pan-tribulationists because it will all pan out all in the end. It will all pan out in the end. <laughs> yeah, it's unhealthy, unhealthy okay. thing, right? So obviously you sit there and you say, no. For me, I said, no. Jesus told us that when we see certain things happen, that we need to flee to the mountains. That doesn't sound like it's all going to pan out. <laughs> right. uh, you know, and, and at that time, uh, something that I don't think I mentioned before, uh, the guy that led me to Christ, Paul, uh, he told me that most of the church is obsessed with this thing called the rapture. Now, again, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I had no idea what that was. He, he talked to me about it as if I should know. And it's funny because right. I do that to people now. When I like talking, they're like, the what? I'm like, yeah, the rapture, <laughs> duh. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so I had known early on that there was a difference in Christian communities in regards to Jesus coming back. I knew that at this point I only knew that 
there was the difference between those that believed we were going to be raptured and those that believed we were going to stay here. Right. In Jesus' kingdom. Okay, so... So post-trib, pre-trib. Right. So I knew I was a part of... Yeah, I didn't even understand that. That's why pan-trib was like, what? I heard of pre-trib and (laughs) post-trib. So I... uh, I obviously asked them the question. They basically told me, you know, well, we, we're not the type of church that, and he, the pastor let me know. He said, well, we knew this was going to come up eventually. We're not the type of church that's going to divide over the last days, we believe. And I can understand some of what they were saying. They wanted to unite on the mission of Jesus, you know, serving the people around us, serving our community. And, right. Uh, you know, the motto was taking people to the next level. And I could agree with that. I yep. You know, amen. <clears throat> so obviously the pan-tribulationist thing just threw me for a loop, especially as a young man who believed he was a part of the tribe of Dan that was going to be the people getting folks ready for the last days, right. which Jesus told us we need to heed and that we need to flee to the mountains. Hearing someone say that it was all going to pan out without us paying any regard was problematic. Right. So I was like, this guy's not even telling people to get ready for the rapture. He's just saying, you know, throw it to the wind. Don't worry about it. I was like, that's problematic. So approached them, and unfortunately through that conversation, uh, it led to me being told that perhaps this isn't the right fit for you here in this church. Uh, however, uh, true to my nature, and this might be important in this podcast, uh, I've always kind of appreciated, even in my gang life for that matter, I've always had friends outside of my circle. Okay. I've always thought that's a healthy way to be. Yeah. You know, it helps you know what the enemy's thinking in that lifestyle. In uh, our, as a Christian, I would say it's just a part of being well-balanced. Right. And, you know, having people in different perspectives. So during my internship, I had made friends with the Assemblies of God preachers and some of the folks there at that church. Okay. And became known to them to the point where when I lost this internship, luckily they were like, well, we know that you're not a pre-tribber because I used to always argue with that pastor about right. that. We know you don't believe in the rapture and the big joke was Mike Miano wants to be here uh, past the rapture. I mean, if he <laughs> wants to be here, then let him suffer. Uh, you know, and they said that they would offer me an internship if I was willing to uh, you know, come to their church, et cetera, participate in um, so I took up that internship. Right. And uh, at that same time, I went as a missionary to Palestine, as you alluded to in the beginning. I uh, went to Palestine. I served as a short-term delegate there. Um, and again, all of this was just a, me trying to be as authentic in my approach to understanding Jesus and understanding what it means to be in the mission of Jesus uh, to the best of my ability. Right. And so, I just want to just break in here for one sec. Please. Because uh, as you're telling me this story and you trying to express your thoughts and your views and what's going on in your head and what you're experiencing, I just can't imagine how problematic it could become at times to be called a heretic along this way, right? Because you're sitting there going, well, what about this? Yeah, just or what about questions. This? Yeah, just what about this? You can't, you can't think that, like, you're getting told what to think. Like, that to me is some scary stuff. Like, when you're being told what to feel, what to believe, what to think, and all those things, instead of just pointing to the truth and allowing that to grow. And that's why I'm saying the church has just got to do a better job. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Again, remember, early on in my walk with the experience with the Muslims. So I, I had that experience already with, you can't, venture down that road yeah so yeah. for me that was always just okay well then something's wrong then right yeah yeah um so i ended up uh taking up this internship and worked within this church which again uh you know uh the pastor at the time was you know like i said they would make the joke that i wanted to be here past the rapture but the key was not to focus so much on the end times right uh and to uh they knew that i held the view again my view was very end timesy that's yeah you know, for the lack of a better phrase uh, i believed we needed this generation needed to be ready. And again, we were using the math of 1948 and the fig tree and all this strange stuff that people use to uh, mark out dates. Right. So while we you didn't were have a date like setter? 
I wasn't a date setter to oh, the team, but I was I a generation. Know. It sound, was this generation. You sound like a date setter. Oh, yeah, it was this generation. <laughs> uh, I think it was something like 70 years as a generation, 1948 plus 70. You know, you do the math. Divided by three yeah, times yeah. the second power. Uh, it, well, no, it wasn't even that far. It was just 1948 plus 70. I mean, what's my math is horrible, but we're somewhere near there, right? You're right, 70. Yes, that's right. See, I didn't even... Oh, oh, man. So I got a story for you. So you ready? So just to kind of conclude my journey there, and I appreciate the opportunity. No, man, it's been great, man. It's, um, it's a wild journey, but I'm really, you, it's God's still good, wild. Man. Hold on. Um, by the way, my motto is zeal empowered by knowledge. I love that. It's like my personal motto, and it's just, as I learn, my energy is a natural expression of what I'm learning, right. as long as I'm learning. Right. You know, what you have to be worried about is people that are zealous without knowledge. They're yeah. not learning anything. They're very zealous for what they, they, they claim. That's what the Apostle Paul rebuked in Romans 10. Uh, these are people that are zealous for God, but they have no knowledge. So I, I go I go to Palestine. I come back. In Palestine, there was something very interesting that happened. Right. So actually, I'm sorry, I have to double back. Go ahead. Go. So I started serving in this internship, and I'm at the mall, and I would always read. I'm a reader, so I always carry around a Christian book with me or something, my Bible, you know, my, my blanket. Um, I, I always had, like, a Christian book, and a lot. it was twofold. It was something I was reading and learning, but also to stir evangelism or to have a talk, talk with someone, fellowship. So I was in the food court of the mall, and this is in Fort Myers, Florida, and um, I go up to the restaurant, the whatever I was going to at the time. It was Chick-fil-A. I know what it was. But uh, I went up, and uh, the man asked me, what was I reading? And I told him, oh, a book about marriage or something. It was a book about relationships. He said, oh, you're a Christian, you know, and he started talking, and he said, I'm a pastor of a church down the road, you know, if you want to come meet with me, uh, let's grab lunch one day and fellowship. So I put him off for probably like two months, served my internship, you know, was doing everything I needed to do, going to school, and uh, one day we go to lunch. We go to lunch, and he said to me, um, oh, man, I'm telling you, you know how the last time I told my testimony, it was a long time ago, now I'm realizing <laughs> there's another part that you have to know. Uh, so I made it my business, before I get, I'm going to go right back to that. I made it my business to meet with local pastors, and I would tell them that, are you, what are you doing to get ready for the last days? Part of my Tribe of Dan goal was to help people start storing up food pantries and be mindful of this teaching that Jesus said to go to the mountains when, you know, uh, when well, man, You were in it. In yeah, it. so I made it my business to go meet with preachers, etc. That was my side ministry during my internship okay. and etc. So I met with this one Baptist preacher, and he said something to me I'll never forget. He said... What would you say to a preterist? And I said, a what? He said, a preterist. And I said, I'd never heard of that. And he said, it's people that believe it or uh, all those prophecies had already happened. And I said, why would I bother talking what? Who <laughs> believes that? Yeah. You know, and he was like, he like smirked. And I'll never forget it because it's such a humbling moment for me now. I remember him just kind of having this face and just being like, Okay, and he was like, all right, well, tell me more about moving to the mountains. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so now I meet with this pastor. Oh, man. And we're sitting at this, uh, it was, uh, I forget the name of some sub place. We're sitting there, and he says to me, uh, I gave him my spiel. You know, I mean, who can get around that? If the mark of the beast is something you know is going to come in our future, you know that people are not going to be able to buy food. A woman with children is not going to be able to buy food. What are you doing to prepare? And then some people say, well, the rapture. And I would say, okay, that's like the most unloving thing I've ever heard in my life. So we won't be there. Huh. I was like, that's not Christian. Right. So even if you believe in the rapture, what are you doing right, right. to prepare? And to see the like, what are we supposed to do? It was like, this is nuts. Like it, Jesus gives instruction right there in the, the, you know, in the story. So I told Alan this, Alan Bondar, 
And uh, he said he listened so well, you know. Praise God for pastors that listen. Yep. You know, and, and teachers, Bible teachers that sit there and listen. He said, they listen. He listened to me and he said, what would you say if I told you all of that already happened? This is that that P word, yeah. uh, you know, the preterist. And he said, yeah, he said, I believe that already happened in uh, the first century. And I was like, how? You know, I, I mean, so many questions came to mind. You know, when did the earth end? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, how did I miss it? Um, <laughs> you know, and there was just so many questions that, it, it was what it required. The word we would use is a paradigm shift. It required me to look at things a bit differently. And he said to me, the first thing he, the first question he asked me was, "What do you believe happens when we die?" Well, that's easy. First Thessalonians four. Hello, uh, we all sleep. We will all sleep uh, when he comes. He will, you know, we will be resurrected with him. I had known that because remember, I was arguing with my pastor about the rapture uh-huh. all the time. So I went right to that. And he said, do you think that's what the people in Thessalonica in the first century when this letter was written would have explained it as? And I said, well, let's read it. I've never had a preacher do that. Let's just read it. And I was like, okay. And we read it, and he said, do you? He read through the whole first letter of Thessalonians. He said, now I ask you, do you believe the people in the first century believed what you just explained to me about you're going to die, you're going to go to the grave, you're going to come out? He said, what about them? And he said, you keep believing it's this generation. What about their generation? Remember, just you would imagine it was like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. Like, because I've been arguing with people about this, and Alan will joke and he'll tell people like Mike was one of those guys that you would say, "There's no way to get him. This yeah. is his like thing. You know, he's all about this." And I remember I went home and I would email him back and forth and ask all these questions, and I uh, got to a point where I ended up saying, uh, "I think I might be a preterist." So I went and I met with my pastor, and the pastor that I'd argued with about the rapture. All right with him and I said, I just have a question for you about Matthew 24. Can you hear me out on this? He said, yeah, I met this guy the other day that's a preterist. He said, Mike, we're not doing this. He said, we're not doing this. You just need to, you need to stop getting into all this stuff. You need to sit under a pastor for three years and, and then begin asking these questions. And I said, yeah, but you know that's not my personality. Yeah. I mean, this is the same pastor that talked me out of going and moving into the uh, woods because I believe Jesus was telling me to sell all my belongings. Right, right. So, you know, he knew me like I'm not that... I need, I need some good substantial answers. He would not study it with me. Really? He would not study it. And I was like, well, we've argued for a year. Right. Like, I've been here interning for so much time, and you will, not, you will not answer any of my questions. And he basically told me, you know, if you keep bringing this up, you keep being divisive, we're going to have to remove you from your internship. Well, true to nature, I went home and I said, uh, my pastor at the time was teaching on the end times, and he was senior pastor. You know, it was a big church. So okay. you know, I was serving in the college ministry. The senior pastor began to teach on the last days. Me being the person I was, a bit immature at the time, probably wouldn't have done this today. Uh, I decided he was teaching a series called After Tomorrow, and it was all about the last days. Right. I began to do a study. Again, I'm in college. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still learning myself. I began to do a study called Consider Yesterday. Okay. And I put it on YouTube. Oh and I my quoted God. my pastor. Oh, my so, gosh. Who I'm interning for. So you would imagine they were like, uh, yeah, take the YouTube videos down. You know, oh that's not okay. Gosh. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't put the YouTube videos down. They're still up to this day. Consider yesterday on YouTube. You'll see me at a much younger age. Um, I uh, went in, I basically went, every video he taught, I would teach a response. I would teach a response. Till the day they called me in the office and they said, delete the YouTube videos or you're being removed from our from our church and, you know, the, the internship. So I forfeited it. 
And um, at that point, I had enough time in with my internships that my schooling was able to still go. Thanks, okay. be, thanks be to God. Thank God, right? Um, Jeez. Uh, and then I was removed from the church to the extent that when I went back a couple Sundays later with these little papers that said, ask your pastor. Oh, my gosh. They had the sheriff show up and tell me I wasn't oh allowed to be there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, so then, yeah, I became the P word, by the way. Those that might have been listening earlier wondering what it was. It was a preterist. And... Um, Started my own little assembly there in Fort Myers. We started meeting in a coffee shop. And a couple of people told me to do what you're doing here. You know, go online, start making podcasts. And right. um, you'll find some others that might think like you. And at this point, I realized that the end times views in Christianity are a war zone uh, where, you know, there's yeah. no real consistency and everybody's not very friendly about it. Um, so that began the journey of uh, getting to know you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and... Um, nice little Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, Facebook, the Eschatology Forum, right? Uh, that's yep. it. And, um, and, you know, I praise God for preterism. I really do, if I might say this. And uh, now that I've told all that, hopefully you have something you want to uh, ask me or poke at there. I would say it's a great time to be alive. Right. It really is. Um, while I'm not getting ready to move to the mountains any longer. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, even though that would be nice. Um, however. Well, yeah, um, unless it's a log cabin on the mountains, right? That's yeah. right. I know yeah. my wife's sitting there saying, no, no mountains. No she's mountains? Mountain. She's, she's not a mountain person. She's a city girl? Yeah, yeah. She's not trying to move to the mountains. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you know, obviously preterism undid a lot for me, and it helped me uh, come to get a better handle on what the mission of God really is. You know, and, and what does authentic Christianity mean? What does that look like? Yeah. What is the purpose of the church in the world? Are we this end time end you know system to help people get to heaven or whatever some people are conjuring up, um, or are we a people that have been put here to be the salt of the earth? Right. You know that that's an eternal purpose. That this permanent revolution doesn't have an end. Right. Uh, and that really has blessed me through and through. And obviously, we're seeing that continue growing revolution, if you will. Right. Right, yeah, that's all, you know, and, you know, we connected on the eschatology forum, you know, and uh, we have some similarities and we definitely got some differences, but it's the point of this, it's the point of this podcast, I'm trying to get all, trying to let people understand, right, because they'll hear, oh, Mike Miano's a preterist, and they go, right, heretic, this, that, and, you know, me and you were always grouped together in this on Long Island of, of what we believe, it's like, oh, we can't be sure we like them, but we can't be associated with them publicly, at least, anyways, uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's really about the question, the questions why. And similar to your background, I thought what was really interesting was that um, I'm a studier. You know, when I, when I got saved, I just didn't also jump into Christianity. I kind of like made an emotional decision, then I backtracked and I really studied everything out before I became a Christian. And I honestly didn't think I was going to end up being a Christian. But it was funny because when I became a Christian, I was always like. It was, I was always, like, promoted as, you know, this guy knows his stuff. This guy's a studier. Talk to him. Or if anybody has any questions just about the deity of Christ or God and stuff, talk to Johnny, talk to Johnny, talk to Johnny. So I started believing in fulfilled eschatology or victorious eschatology or the preterist view of eschatology, however you want to label it, right, um, about it being uh, – uh, about being f- the prophecies being fulfilled, all of a sudden now it's like, oh man, he lost his mind. He's out of, he's out of whack. He's there. But and, and that's what really offended me, I guess, the most was that – People just cut you. People who were family just cut you off. Uh, people who were friends just cut you off without even the hey, what happened? Where did you, how did you come to this conclusion? Let's have a conversation. Much like hey, I got questions about Matthew twenty four. You know, can we have a dialogue, a discussion about this? Because at the end, you could agree to disagree, right? And right, you you 
You'll testify to this too. We don't agree on everything. We have disagreements on things. What are you disagreeing you know? with me about? Oh, so <laughs> let's talk about the long hair thing first, okay? Oh, all right. <laughs> Trying. Um, you know, and we're brothers, man. You know, we're friends. We're, we're, you're, like I told you when you first got here, when the reason why I wanted you on my first podcast, nobody studies more than you. And you are, I say, legit Christian, like real Christian. You express the heart of Jesus. And uh, I respect that tremendously about you. And I love chatting theology with you. I love chatting doctrinal stuff with you. And there are times where I'm thinking like, oh, man, I need to question Mike. You know, hey, you know, what do you think on this? Or, or what are your thoughts on this? Or I'll watch something that you're posting up and I go, hmm, that's a good point about that. And that's the exciting thing about a journey in God. Amen. You know, we don't have to be sitting here attacking everybody, especially when the current state of the church. It's not like you look at the church and go, man, they're prospering big time right now. The church is killing it. And then there's these outcasts, uh, you know, uh, me and you, uh, that are just sitting on the side trying to disrupt all this amazing progress the church has made. The, the, the church is not, take the temperature, right? The church is not doing well. It's just not. People leaving the church, leaving the faith, losing faith in God because of the church. And when you talk to people, most people don't have a problem necessarily with Jesus or with God. They have a problem with the church. They have a problem with the church, a problem with the organization. They have a problem with the hypocrisy, how Jesus is presented, all these things. And there's, and then the church on top of it, to make it worse, they don't allow dialogue questions. You know, we do that on Wednesdays where we have any – you can ask any question you want during our Bible. You can come up there. It could be on topic, off topic. You know, Q&A, microphone's up. Like, hey, I got a question. Come up to the mic. You know, microphone gets passed around. Ask anything that you want. How many churches do that? How many churches do – and we'll have questions like, I don't see it that way. These are the comments in the middle of the Bible study. I don't see it the way you just explained it. Can you tell? That's healthy. That's true. That's right. You know, that, that, that is how we learn and grow and there. And I learn from my congregation all the time. Um, and uh, I hope they learn from me a lot as well, too. But it's that, that this is, I feel, supposed to be the journey where I guess uh, it, we talk about comfortability being the enemy of progress. Right, but I think another enemy of progress is certainty. Absolutely, where you think you're certain on something until new one. To, to for you to be certain on something is is pretty much saying I know everything in the world about this topic, and no new information will ever change my mind about this. Um, and so, being certain on obviously some things, yes, but uh, but certainty in all areas, I think, is is foolishness, in my opinion. Yeah, amen. I I think that that's a important. Um, you know, I know that a lot of times you hear that that. Unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and love in all things. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we sit there and we're like, well, then what are the essentials? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's important, but I, I would say the key is love in all things. Yeah. And, and then giving each other that space. Uh, I shared my journey, and again, I, I appreciate you allowing me to do that. Because what it reminds me when I talk, and I talk a lot, is to realize how much grace I needed in my journey. Yeah. How much I needed to, you know undo certain things you know there's been things that i undid years ago that i rebuilt back up you know that i was like all right well that was you know, put that standard back up put right that boundary back up you know much and i say that even in theology where there were things that i was like you know challenge and then you know so eh, you know and then one thing i love is in first corinthians it's in first corinthians 8 and romans 14 uh, it's ref the idea is reflected in both well you are called to conviction the key for me and you is that each of us are called to have our conviction. We are not allowed to be lazy in this life. We are called to be alert and alert. Pan out in the end, man. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. 
<laughs> I'm a pan's preterist. Uh, right, yeah, a, a pan Christian or something. Right? Just whatever. <laughs> Everything's just fine. Um, no, but you know, we need to have standards, and we right. need to. We our standard is this: me and you are both examining ourselves, and we're both possessing and increasing the things that cause us to be effective and fruitful and increase the knowledge of God. Right. If we could do those two things, and we could call other people to do it, all the while recognizing that some people, their convictions are going to be different. Right. Their self examination is going to be different. You know, and that's fine. We can just encourage folks to have a journey. You know, be a part of this beautiful journey uh, called the church. Right. You know, I think we're we're getting to it. I think the church. You know, to give on a positive spin there, uh, as we journey into 2023, I think the church is at a a healthy place. Yeah. I can speak for myself. I know I'm at a healthy place. Right. Right. And uh, the way I'm looking at the church. Well, I think it's it's turning a bit because society is really putting pressure on the church. Mm You know, it's making the church deal with things, answer things, ask things, reevaluate things, rethink some things. Right. That's there because of how far we've gone. And I love the church, right? Because, but again, here's like the cult mentality. It's like you can't talk negative about that. I certainly can talk negative about the church without hating the church. You know, it's very healthy to go. Listen, we're sick. It's not being affected. Let's look at just data. We're not doing good. Let's look at the things that or go out and talk to 10 random people who aren't Christians and go, what do you think of Christians? How many of them are going to go, oh, they're the most amazing people. You need to have a Christian in your life. It just doesn't happen that way. The world isn't drawn to what is being taught on a public platform or general platform. Uh, but that's the opposite of Jesus. Jesus was loved by the world, hated by the church. Um, and it shook the church up. And we're kind of in a state like that now where like the old guard, so to say, is like really being shaken. And this new guard who's being mocked by the old guard is really starting to draw in people. And instead of focusing, I love that what you mentioned before, I think Paul was the one that mentioned it to you, uh, have a vertical view and not a horizontal view. You know, how many people are sitting there just criticize every other ministry out there known to men. They take all the time. There's so much things that you can do right in your own town uh, or right on your calling on your digital platforms. However that looks, however big or small that is that you shouldn't have time to criticize anybody else. And all these other t- all these other things, unless it becomes damaging unto you or damaging to the body of Christ to the extent that it is, right? Amen. Uh, I heard somebody say recently, "What would your next door neighbor say about you?" Mm. Right? Love your neighbor. Right. I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. Right. Just what would your next door neighbor say? That's good. Uh, that what about this? If your church shut down, would your town even notice? Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's. And again, I think that's important because it calls every church to understand their own identity. Right. Your, your, because again. The church might disappear. I'm talking about your church. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if your church disappeared, what is your what is your church known for in the community? You know, people would say, you know, that's such an interesting challenge. To yeah, about, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, if our church disappeared tomorrow, would there be anybody that said, you know, where where did they go? You yep. know, where did that church go? Um, good man. challenge. Yeah, man. You got to listen, man. You got a wild story, man, and I'm. Uh, it's so awesome to see how God weaved all all of that in to bring that authenticity out of you and use your zeal and still using your zeal to continue to advance uh, the gospel, the kingdom of God, bringing good news to people uh, in there. So if I, to, to close out here, what would you say if I said, what's, your, what's the verse that meant the most to you, the scripture verse that stood out the most to you? I'd say um, Matthew chapter, I think it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be given unto you. It's been the journey for me since I became a Christian. The first thing was obviously to define what is the kingdom. Right. Most people want to start with what is seeking. Well, no, we'll we'll get back to that. What is the kingdom? That was a journey for me. 
it's still a journey to, to be blessed by our insight in regards to what is the kingdom of God. Right. And, uh, I would answer, of course, with Romans 14. Uh, Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So now taking that wisdom, let's plug it back in. Seek first righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In his righteousness, all things will be given. Love it. Love it. Awesome, man. Bro, thank you so much for joining. I had a, this was good, man. This was good dialogue here. I think people are going to enjoy it. I appreciate you coming out. Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to let anybody know about? Oh, man, let me get the whole list of websites. No, uh, <laughs> uh, if I might mention, uh, my wife and I do a podcast. Uh, we, we've uh, been blessed by doing it. It's called You've Got Mail, available on Apple Music, Spotify. If you like this conversational tone, uh, I think right. you'd be blessed to listen to my wife and I uh, there, uh, the pastor and the mail lady. And um, also, I'm the, I serve as the director of the Power of Preterism Network. So if you're curious about the P word uh, and want to learn more about preterism or what, you know, what we're saying, want to gain what we like to call clarity, healing, and strategy, regards to the progress and power of preterism uh, get in touch with me visit our website powerofpreterism.com and you know if you find yourself on long island and uh you know you attend the morning worship service here at the sound of heaven like you're supposed to then you know you might want to wander over to the blue point bible church at six there you go and there you, you go. be there with us for our evening time of common prayer oh you want to give me my space out too no <laughs> <laughs> Don't right. look me up on my side. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks a lot, man. God I appreciate you, brother. God bless you too, man. Thank you.